This is Geek Gab with your host, John and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Saturday, April 7th, 2018. Madhouse. Absolutely a madhouse here at the Geek Gab Manor. We, your hosts, have yet again unexpectedly, completely and totally unexpectedly yet Again, the same thing that happens every week. An unexpected technical problem has prevented our guest, our special guest, Mr. P. Alexander, editor of Kursova Magazine, from joining us on the show today. However, my good friend and fellow host, Dornall is here. How was your week? Hey, dude. It's been a good week, man. Anything Non-stop specific? Gaming. Why, yes. Uh, <laughs> besides besides the usual uh, game of Gloomhaven, which is still the best board game ever made. I've, uh, I've seen a wonderful, wonderful film. An animated film. Oh, yeah, we were going to talk about that. Uh, that. That was the highlight of my week. All right, we will talk about Isle of Dogs then. Um, let's see, the other... Okay, folks, let, let's get down to brass tacks. We were planning on having a guest on the show. I've been madly reading issues, or rather an issue, of Kersova Magazine so we could be prepared, so we could come on the show and excitedly discuss the great stories in the magazine with you. Unfortunately, that got blown all the hell. And so... We're going to fall down on our backup, our backup subjects here. Now, the main subject that we were going to talk about was Isle of Dogs and then Kristova Magazine, which is a great magazine that if you haven't read or or, uh, bought issues of, you should absolutely go and do that right now, Uh, especially issue number five, I think, that has Skylar Hernstrom's Last American in it. Great story, great issue. And anything that has Skylar Henstrom in it, you should read. Um, The other thing, though, our emergency backup subject comes to me courtesy of the new DC Age of Heroes. And we'll be discussing that. We'll be discussing that at the middle of the show and as for the ending that will be up to us your hosts to come up with something both interesting and informative to bring you our audience hey so so speaking of filling time what happened last week i was uh, i was mia um last week two things happened I both got sick and I got involved in a sudden uh, imbroglio involving issues that I can't discuss on the show yet. Uh Uh-huh. Yes, which means that we're going to get an episode on these issues soon. I I hope not, because uh, if everything goes the way I hope it does, then um, we will... (laughs) I'll have a uh, uh, an agreement that will almost certainly include not talking about these issues in public. So well, that's that, why I'm not that, talking about them right now in public. Well, that kind of issue. Well, well, well very, uh, very enticing. I can't wait mm-hmm. to not hear about it. But but if things go well, again, if I can't talk about the issue, then that means things have gone well, and that may mean that I have some other big news that I may be able to announce. So, uh-huh. so there's that we're, as well. We're all about anticipation here. The thing I is, was, I, uh, go ahead. I'm not even de- deliberately trying to be cryptic here. I'm not trying to tease this. I'm not trying to build up audience, you know, apprehension. I'm not trying to make it seem big and mysterious. So our audience will go, huh, I wonder what Daddy Warpid is up with these mysterious announcements. No, there is literally... Right now, a legal proceeding I am involved in, uh, I have retained counsel. 
Uh, I have spent a lot of money retaining, or potentially spent a lot of money. I found out something this week. Retainers, you pay to lawyers. That's not actually a fee that just disappears. It is prepaying billable hours. So it's basically like a gift card uh, or, you know, one of those prepaid uh, debit cards that you can buy at Walmart. That's what it is, okay? You go to get a Walmart card. They're not going to give you any credit, but you can pay to preload it with money. And then when you're out of money, you pay again to preload it. That's how lawyers work. They work just like the cheapo debit cards that poor people get at Walmart so they can have a credit card, you know, a Visa stamped card to go buy stuff with online. They've just paid it ahead of times. That's what a retainer is. So I have retained counsel, which means I have put up a fee depending on how much um, how much money he ends up charging me. Some or all of that may be refund at the end. And the hilarious thing is, and I'm gonna I can say this because this won't have any bearing on any settlement in the future and whether or not I'm allowed to talk about that. The hilarious thing is, is I have been doing hours and hours of work that would normally have to be done by his assistants at the price of $160 an hour. So I have been doing this work. And every time I find information or describe an issue or locate some obscure piece of evidence, I am saving myself $160. That's insane. I did 50 hours of work for this uh, in the last week and a bit, um, including some desperate research Thursday night. I was contacting... CEOs in this industry. I was contacting a couple of freelancers I know in this industry. I was contacting uh, who else? Did I, I I actually contacted two people who work for this company and got all this information from them to get some accurate information to give the lawyer so he could do what he needs to do. And because of that mad dash, I saved at the very least one hundred and sixty dollars and maybe more. If it took them as much as long to find this information as it took me, that is about five hours at $160 a piece that I saved that won't have to go to the lawyer. So I have been working my tail off. That's why I couldn't do the show last week is because I was both sick and desperately engaged in gathering information for this particular issue. And once again, I'm not mentioning the company for a good reason. I'm not mentioning the specific issue for a good reason. Because if things go well and I'm able to get the settlement that I'm looking for, then I don't want there to be any lingering problems with them saying, oh, but you spoke about this on your show. Therefore, you have to take the episode down because you're not allowed to discuss this. So I'm being very okay. elliptical and talking about things off to the side so we can keep this show up. Yeah, let's keep this show up. I like this show. And this particular episode, this is going to be one of our best. So I, I, I am just really baffled and befuddled that a director of the caliber that this director is chose to make what seems to be a pretty bizarre looking or a pretty bizarrely um, – it, it, it is not unusual for cartoons to be this bizarre. I mean, just watch, you know, The Roadrunner or Bugs Bunny. Of course they're bizarre. But Wes Anderson, and it is Wes Anderson, right? Yeah. Wes Anderson does some quirky comedic things, but I never saw a sort of stop animation dog movie coming from him. Uh, by the way, not Isle of Dogs refers to an island that's literally, I believe, in the Thames River in England. It's a, it's a real island, the Isle of Dog. So I don't know uh, if that inspired this or if he just chose, it, chose the name because it was cool. But you went and saw the movie. So for the first time in months, you've seen the movie. I have not because I was busy with something else that I can't talk about. Um, Indeed. And so well, what did you think? Let me... Let me well, let me tell you about this. Yeah, this is a it's a Wes Anderson movie, and the reason why you haven't seen it yet is because it was actually just out for a limited release uh, last week, and 
and it's oh full it's full u.s release is actually going to be a week from now on the 13th that's why i couldn't see it i actually was looking at my local movie theater i didn't see it up anywhere because you're in a special cool corner of the country where you get all the cool movies before the rest of us dirty plebs do yeah that's so unfair that's, that's right you y'all in flyover country don't get any dog cartoons uh for another week i'd uh but, but so i will talk about the I, movie, you've been a west sanderson yeah. fan for a while right for a little while, I uh, I didn't I didn't know I was until I saw uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel, which I think was two thousand fourteen or fifteen, something like that. Of which I have seen fully a third. Fully a third. A I third. can't believe you didn't watch the whole thing. Uh, that one is. Uh, that one is a fantastic movie, and it was. It was like pure joy the whole time. I may have even used that phrase when I reviewed it on the show. It was a really, really enjoyable film. Um, and it was funny and it was quirky and, and it was, he uses weird shots. Uh, since yes. then I've seen uh, Moonrise Kingdom, which is a little less funny, a little more quirky, charming. And um, weird shots and very strong, and very strong color palettes, at least in the Grand Budapest Hotel. I don't know if that's a, uh continual theme of his but man you could not take every environment has this dominant color theme that moved through the movie i always kind of wondered what he, what he was doing with that uh yeah it is and uh it was similar with moonrise kingdom and similar use of shots and 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 things he's got he's definitely got his own personal style and flair that's unmistakable both in the like the scripts and the quirky characters and and the actual physical shots that he uses. You know how good a director Wes Anderson is. In, uh, how good is he? In the Red Letter Media review of the Phantom Menace, which is what put them on the map, and I've listened to it probably four or five times all the way through because there's just so much good information about storytelling in there. What they say is you should have a relatable protagonist unless you're ex-director. And they list like what, a dozen directors who can do whatever the hell they want because they're good enough to get away with doing whatever the hell they want. One of the directors they list is Wes Anderson. And that's pretty accurate. I mean, the Grand Budapest Hotel kind of has a protagonist. It's kind of got the young bellboy. Um, and I love dogs. Let me tell you about this. So yeah, it's it's an animated film, and it looks like it's all done digitally. But it it's it apes the style of stop motion animation, very closely, very closely. It's it's it, the animation is beautiful, and it's a story of uh, there's a the Japanese have exiled, or at least this this one prefecture in japan oh. they've exiled all their dogs to an island i just realized a, what we need to talk about okay hang on I, to that thought no 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 it, we have to talk about ready player one because i'm gonna forget oh you're gonna we're, oh goodness talking about animation yeah after after this i mean we want to do isle of dogs we definitely want to do isle of dogs so our audience can hear about the movie but after isle of dogs we definitely have to talk about because there's so much like thematic congruity there between uh, the production methods of the movies. And I'm betting there's a huge divergence in the quality of output. Please continue. I apologize for interrupting you. So the story is, if you haven't seen the trailer, uh, there's a, a Japanese, the Japanese have exiled all their dogs to an island. And uh, <laughs> a, a, a few years have passed and there's a pack of Former, I, I just pets, want to say know, there's a really, really racist Korean joke waiting in there somewhere. <laughs> I did not make uh, that joke, they, but it's waiting in there. They, they, yes, they, they they were not exiled as a food source or anything like that. It's uh, the in fact the backstory is is really funny, but I'm going to spoil as little as possible. It's a. Uh, so it's not an open-air takeout joint, which you're saying. That's correct. <laughs> I can't do this. This is not right. Uh, I'm laughing. Uh, I'm not 
damn it! Why don't I hell. stop interrupting your review? Why don't I let you get two words out before I interrupt again? <laughs> Please go. If hey, if it's if it's you know casually racist jokes, I'm okay with that. You can interrupt me for those. <laughs> the story is about the a you know a pack of former house pets who encounter a boy who flies over to the island to find his old dog. And so it's sort of it, it's got one of you know the there's the pack of dogs and there's an antagonist among them voiced by Brian Cranston and then there's also the Japanese boy. Brian Cranston's in more movies. Yeah, well I that I mean I I suppose they could have got a lot of people to do this character this dog's voice but it's one of those things um, where after Breaking Bad, he, he just keeps getting more work and, and popping up everywhere. Uh, so it's got this it's got this great cast of characters and and but there's two main ones the the boy and uh, the one dog voiced by Brian Cranston. And you you sort of follow their story throughout the the film. But there's a bunch of other side characters with tons of cool cameos, and it's got the usual Wes Anderson cast of characters people like uh francis mcdormand and bill murray and and whatnot and they and and they all do a wonderful job all all the voice acting all the acting is fun and uh bill murray and jeff goldblum are uh, used correctly which is to say sparingly (laughs) they sort of they pop in they they deliver their jokes and sort of go back into the background instead of stealing the whole film Jeff Goldblum worked pretty well in Guardians of the Galaxy 2, but that was almost too much Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, and, and if you think about he was also in Thor Ragnarok, and, and we complain about this on, our, on the oh, that's show. What I meant. Where, that's what you meant. It, it was almost too much Jeff Goldblum, but the problem was is that everybody else in the cast was trying to be Jeff Goldblum. And so everything was ad-libbed, and it was just it was madness. Only but Jeff Gold- one, Goldblum can really be Jeff Goldblum, though. Exactly, exactly. And 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 like Bill Murray was fulfilling the same role. He'd come in with you know a couple of great jokes and one-liners and things, but they were all his style. Like you could, they had their they had their each they had their own style, and and uh, they're both very funny. So without spoiling too much more of the movie. Uh, the sh- it's a Wes Anderson style. All the shots are the same. He likes he likes flat scenes uh, where there's lots of characters in the foreground and the background, and sh- and it's like a painting, like a flat painting. And he does lots of pans, like he'll he'll pan left and right and up and down, um, often for comedic effect. Uh, and this, it's the film is so dense with humor i i was laughing from the opening credits and and smiling up until the end of the film uh whereas the the uh the grand budapest hotel was quirky scene to quirky scene to quirky scene and 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 it was funny and entertaining and enjoyable but this film is dense and i think that's because it's it's animated uh because the animations are so beautiful but then not only are the characters funny and the situations funny, but there's nonstop sight gags. You know, the dogs mm. acting like dogs, and you know the dogs have a fight, and all the fights in this film are done in that old uh, Looney Tunes style, where it's just a white cloud, and you see you know limbs and ears and tails and stuff popping out of it. Um, and I just I died every time that happened. They they also do that on the. The Wallace and Gromit guy makes a TV show about some sheep. They do the same thing on that show as well. And you never think about it, uh, you know, because when yeah. you're kids, you're watching those cartoons and you're like, yeah, they're having a fight. But when you're sitting down and, and the first time it actually happened in Isle of Dogs, I, I lost it. It was so funny. <laughs> I just wasn't expecting it. I don't know what I was expecting, but <laughs> that wasn't it. Um, what can I say? Uh, I want everybody to see this. I really do. This is going to be the, this is the best movie I've seen since Dunkirk. Uh, I, uh, I firmly believe it'll be the best movie of 2018. It's, it was really thoroughly enjoyable to watch. And 
and the and it was very funny and and it was a joke every 30 seconds there's another joke or another sight gag or something or so, funny so situation it was it was hilarious the best movie of 2018 you're you're not going to bet place your bet on uh the new avengers movie a infinity war uh, you're really not i i you know what uh you know, I'm going to go ahead and say that's some stiff competition from Marvel's, uh, from Marvel's uh, schlocky summer blockbusters. Yes, this is going to, you are going to enjoy this movie more than all the upcoming summer blockbusters combined. Um, and, and and I know you, Daddy Warpig, this may not be your cup of tea. You may like it, but you say, well, there weren't enough explosions and in, in, in action. And that I understand. but. Uh, but this is the best movie I've seen in a long time. So big thumbs up for the Wes Anderson movie. Um, I heard also heard from uh, some relatives of mine who went and saw it that Silence or A Quiet Place um, is also a really good movie. I haven't seen it, so I can't say I might watch it for next week. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any shows coming out that are... That seems really watchable. I, I, let, let's do it because you know what? I... I I don't think much of the actor John Krasinski, but put him in a movie where he doesn't have to talk and think about his, his impact on the office was when he was always, he was always nonverbal. He was always making funny faces and reactions oh, and things. We can't review it for next week. Oh yeah. We're busy next week. We can do it for the week after we've got our mega show for next week. We've got our mega show for next week. Every single one, except for two guys who couldn't make it. Every single one of the authors who is nominated for a Prometheus Award, every single one of them is going to be here, and they're going to be on the same show all at once. Um, and so there are, uh, I think there's five or six authors who are all coming on our show all at the same time, um, one of whom is... Andy Weir. Andy Weir? Yeah. He wrote The Martian, man. Holy cow. He's coming on the show. He's going to be here next week. I'm blown away. So that's going to be, that's going to be, like, we'll, we'll have to save the movie stuff for the week after. Cause, cause we're not, we're not sparing any time for, for that kind of a mega show. No, not with that many people coming on. We just don't have time. And if my, if I hadn't had some kind of strange, bizarre problem pop up with my email client, I could tell you the names. Of Sarah Hoyt is one of them. She's going to be coming on the show. Let's see if I fix this problem. I really want to read these names because there's this huge, long list of Prometheus nominees. Here we go. Okay. Um we're going to have did, did you get that there we're we're going to have sorry that wasn't on purpose honestly <clears throat> um so uh we're going to have just oh no i can't find the list i can't find the whole list there's a ton of people though um i tweeted it out though i tweeted it out my announcement for last week uh so yeah we can't do movies next week, dude. We're busy. We're way busy. Hey, that's um, good. Oh, here we go. Travis Corcoran, Carl Gallagher, Sarah Hoyt, Ken McLeod, and Andy Weir all coming on the show next week. So we're gonna be we're gonna be jumping just to get everybody having their own having their own uh, time to be able to talk about their novels and the Prometheus Awards and stuff. Uh, so. All right, do you want to talk? Did you go see Ready Player One? Oh, come on. Is it out? Yes. It's been out for a week. I saw it for my column for Castalia House last week. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, uh, my condolences. Why don't you go ahead and, and contrast the amazing animation of, of Ready Player One with uh, Isle of Dogs? Uh, let me let me drop in a silent place or a quiet place real quick. A quiet place takes place in a world where an alien uh, invasion has come in, and they operate by sound. So if you speak any words, 
then they can hear you and attack you. But if you're quiet, as quiet as you can be, you can survive underneath their very noses and you'll get away with it. And the thing that happens is after years of peaceful survival, and they've completely adapted to this, some disaster happens and the aliens come to attack them and they're having to try and get away while being as quietly as possible and the pregnant mom goes into labor. So in this whole movie, there are less than 10 lines, less than 10 lines of dialogue in the entire movie because it has to all be done silently. So everything is done with um, you know, body expressions and things like that. Now, the way I'm contrasting that with Ready Player One is that there are less than 10 lines of dialogue in A Quiet Place, and there are less than 10 minutes of live action in Ready Player One. The oh. entire movie is flipping computer animated. It may as well have been a computer animated movie, which brings us back to Isle of Dogs. See what I did there? Oh, I see what you did there. That so, is... Mm. I don't even like the book. I read the book. I did another article for it for the Castalia House site, right? I read the book. I don't even like the book. And I was appalled and offended by how badly they butchered it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a Steven Spielberg movie. So if you go in expecting Steven Spielberg, then that's what you're going to get. You're going to get Steven Spielberg. It is Steven Spielbergiest. Um, it just, uh, it wasn't a good yeah. movie. I didn't like I, it. I, I saw the, I mean, obviously I've seen the commercials and trailers and things, and not only did the animation quality look poor, but here's a huge advantage that Wes Anderson has over Ready Player One, which is Wes Anderson isn't working with a bunch of established properties and, and characters and references. Uh, he doesn't have to make it look like some um, simulacrum of the real world. Only you're in a video game. Uh, it's he, you know, he had he and he and his artists, you know, they got together and they set the the look and the feel and the tone that they wanted for the film, and they animated to that, and and the result is consistent and it's gorgeous. I I don't know what look and feel they wanted in this film. I don't know why this film exists. I don't know why this book exists. I mean, I'm a huge fan of 80s stuff, right? I talk about them all the time. I love the A-Team. I'm an A-Team fan. I'd watch some of the A-Team uh, if I had time and had uh, access to the episodes. I'd watch me some A-Team. I'm not saying it's not a cheesy show. Of course it's a cheesy show. And certainly it's, uh, it is not in the modern mode and so seems old-fashioned. But, man, the A-Team was a lot of fun. Do you know the A-Team van is in this movie? Of course. It shows up in one race scene that isn't in the book. That's just ridiculously stupid. Um, the whole movie, beginning to end, is ridiculously stupid. I can't remember anything from the movie that I saw that I thought, wow, that was clever. That was well done. In fact, you know what? When I wrote my article for the Castalia House blog, I didn't use any of my notes that I took for this movie. But I have them right here. So this is all new material. I've got notes on this. I got four pages of notes. Let's let's run through the notes because that way I, I'm weary. Okay. I, I'm weary. I'm literally tired. I thought about Ready Player One and I, I felt this huge sagging weight on my shoulder. I just I was innervated. I just thought to myself, by the way, innervated folks, that's the opposite of energized. Enervated. I just thought to myself, I don't want to talk about this movie. So what I'm going to do is I personally, the, 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 the daddy war pig from April 7th is not going to talk about this movie. I'm going to turn the show over to the poor dumb bastard who had to go watch this movie a week ago. I'm going to turn the show over to that daddy war pig. And I'm guaranteeing you he's probably pretty pissed off. I'm not, I don't know for sure. I don't know what he's going to do at this point, but I'm guessing he's going to be pissed off about having to watch this movie. So right out of the gate, just, just so you know exactly what kind of movie you're going to be getting, right out of the gate, they hit that nostalgia button real hard. 
It's just like, bam, right in your face, nostalgia. They start off the intro song to the movie is Jump by Van Halen from 1984. The year, not the book or the movie. Jump, wow. Van Halen, a song I like. But that tells you what they're trying to sell the movie on is nostalgia. The thing is, if you're an adult, it's insulting. And if you're a kid, it's befuddling because you have no idea what this old man crap is. You, you don't you, know. You know the frame of reference. 30. 30 years ago. Okay. Um, Holy cow, man. You know what it is. You know what it is. It's. It sounds like we would make jokes every time they'd come out with a new reboot or, or retelling of an old property. And we'd make a joke that they're obviously just doing it for the nostalgia cash. Yes. And so Ready, Ready Player won the book and the film sounds like it sounds like satire. It sounds like someone would say, okay, we're sick of all these reboots and retreads, so I'm going to make the most obvious cash grab ever just to just end this whole nostalgia trip um but it's movie. done straight he's legitimately trying to cash in on on the nostalgia and so is the film the movie is a skinner box right it's a skinner box which if you don't remember folks were those boxes they stuck rats in with two levers one of which would give them food um and one of which would give them cocaine and they'd hit the cocaine button until they died um, it's, it's, wait, no, that's not a Skinner box. That's not what I'm thinking of. It's, anyways, that's what it is. You keep on hitting that nostalgia button, or in this case, they don't even give you the chance to hit the nostalgia button. They're hitting it for you again and again and again and again and again, in the hopes that you will love this nostalgia so much that you'll tell all your friends to come and see it. It is insulting. It's basically the people who made the movie jumping up and down and saying, dance, monkey boy, dance. I I hated it. It's not even clever nostalgia. It's just, oh, look, here's a race. And one of the cars in the race is the A-Team van. And one of them is a vehicle from Mad Max. And one of them is a vehicle from Speed Racer. And one of them is a vehicle from Street Fighter. And one of them is freaking the freaking motorcycle, Canada's motorcycle from the Akira movie. And one of them is the goddamn DeLorean from Back to the Future. It's insulting. It's shallow. It's obnoxious. I mean, this is the worst sort. They're trying to pander to me, and all I'm getting is insulted. This race, by the way, is supposed to be a video game, and it's a shitty video game. I'm swearing. I should stop swearing. I'm sorry. I don't ever swear on this show. That's how mad I am. I'm also not really happy at myself for dragging me a week into the future and forcing me to relive this thing. It's a terrible video game. It is not a video game with any skill in it. It's death by random number generator. It's like split second. Do you remember split second? The racer where you could do fancy tricks then you would get up power-ups, and then you could blow stuff up and have it topple onto your enemies. That's what this race is. Only you don't have any control. It just happens at random. Death by random number generator. Oh, so, boy. the main character is a whip. He's a pushover. He's obnoxious, and he completely lacks any and all manliness. I hated him. I, The mad scientist who created this video game, and, and the idea in the book is this is a video game, a, a, a virtual reality 
MMORPG, a multi-genre MMO where you could be both fantasy in one area, science fiction in another, so on and so forth. Became so popular, this MMO, that it replaced the internet. Everything you can do on the internet now is done through the Oasis. The guy who created it is nerdy in the book, but he's not a complete and total Spurglord, right? He's not this super autistic wimp loser. And yet that's what they made him into for this movie. He made the biggest thing in the history of the world. And every time he's on screen, no matter who he's talking to, even his best friend, he's just standing there cringing. Like talking to people is causing him physical pain. Now, I know that there may be real people like that in the world, but who the hell wants to see that in a movie? They're trying to build this up to be an epic battle between a corporation and an evil corporation who wants to take over the Oasis and the good, noble, decent video game players who are going to go out, these video game players, and stop the evil corporation. Folks, I've been involved with a bunch of gamers who did this in real life. And I would pick any one of them over the jerks and losers and retards and spurglords in this movie. We're going to get... No, we don't care. We don't make money off this show, so we don't have to worry about being demonetized. That would be a demonetization right there. Next! Um, every time Halliday, who's the creator, came on, I wanted to punch somebody. The only character in the entire movie that is not crap is an AI who shows up at one point in a uh, video library of all of Holiday's favorite movies. Um, oh, yeah. They've got a huge scene where they go into The Shining, the Kubrick movie. That's unusual. Where the characters, and you could see why people might want to do this in a video game, because after all, that's all that movie tie-ins are, right? An sure. opportunity for you to go into the movie. Well, they're going into The Shining. So Spielberg gets to reshoot all of these classic Kubrick scenes. Like the blood down the corridor. And the two spooky twin girls and the naked lady who gets out of the tub no nudity by the way just just so you know when steven spielberg made ai he took a kubrick idea and screwed kubrick over which is fine he was dead he didn't care i'm guessing and the neat thing about ready player one is he gets to screw Kubrick over again. It's 18, 17 years later, and he gets to screw Kubrick over again. That is a virtuoso performance, Mr. Spielberg. Um, primarily in the movie, the girl, the love interest, is doing all the physical danger stuff. The main bad guy of the evil corporation is, and I hope I'm not shocking you here, a wimp. A gun shows up at one point. <laughs> I almost broke down crying. It was an actual firearm. I have no idea why Steven Spielberg didn't edit it out of his own movie and replace it with a walkie-talkie. But this woman, yeah. I'm talking about two different people. 
the hero's main girlfriend gets to do all the physically courageous stuff, sneaking around that, that in the book the hero did. She gets to sneak around and be in danger while he's in the oasis. And then the head of the evil corporation has a backup. A backup character who goes out and does all his work, all his skullduggery, and she's a woman. And he's too much of a whip to take the gun for her from her. The gun scares him. Back to bad video gaming. Hey, if you're playing a video game and you want to quickly switch between weapons, what the hell do you do? Or you want to quickly use a different spell, what do you do? I'm serious. Give me an answer. I have none. Hotkeys, right? Sure. You hit F1 for one spell, F2 for another spell, or just one, two, three, four. Right? You just, bam, instantly. You slam it, your spell goes off. And, and people who take that seriously and professionally have their own custom inputs and setups and everything. with Exactly. Well, have a mouse with multiple inputs. <laughs> buttons on the mouse, each of one does something different. Hotkeys do not exist in the future. They have to pull up this hologram menu that people can see from 500 parsecs away and manually flip through it one at a time like they were going through a damn card catalog. Kids, if you're young, get your parents to explain to you what the hell a card catalog was. And then you change weapons. Look, the Oasis is the internet. All of the money you have in the world is tied into your Oasis character. If you die, you lose real world money. All of your real world money. Every single penny you have, plus all your virtual property, and as far as I understood the book, all your real-world property, too. Okay, dying is a big deal, right? Wouldn't you expect people, elite gamers, the best of the best, to try and put in a couple of hotkeys, just a couple, so they could switch weapons quickly. Wouldn't that I, be? I, I would. I would expect. Uh, I would expect the players to invest a little time and money, and maybe enhancing their performance, maximizing their chances of winning. Or just stay out of PvP zones entirely. Um, let's see. There was a white trash ghetto that a lot of it is set in. Um, at least the main character, and, and, and we're into spoiler territory here, folks. At least the main character kissed the girl first instead of waiting for her to kiss him. Although it took him about 50 years in dating time to build up to it. Um, it's... The character, Wade, didn't act like a kid who had grown up in the white trash ghetto, the harsh world of the future, who was scrambling every day for it, the tiniest bit of advantage to take himself out of the hellhole he was forced to live in. He didn't act like that. He acted like a kid who grew up in Hollywood and everything that was going on in the movie was casual. Um, now, a lot of these things, 
again, to talk about a little bit about spoilers, a lot of these things got flipped, or a couple of these things got flipped late in the movie. The main villain actually picked up the gun. The problem is, if you spend the entire movie with a villain who isn't imposing, who is literally scared of firearms, it robs the movie of something vital. Unless that isn't the main villain. Unless the real villain is the super smart, vicious underling, and you know that, and this guy is just a figurehead, he's the comedic relief villain. He's the incompetent jagoff who's in charge of the company, but doesn't really, doesn't really run things. Right? So... I just, I hated this movie. I'm sick of wimps in movies. That's the end of my notes, by the way. I'm sick of wimps in movies, and I'm sick of movies that don't know anymore what the audience wants. They don't know what motivates people on a visceral level. And it's obnoxious. You don't spend the entire movie subverting expectations, subverting story structure, subverting characters, and then get to claim that you were doing a great job of playing it straight. That's not how it works. You either get to be a Wes Anderson movie, or if you're trying to be an action movie, you go for a good, solid, clever, smart action movie like Die Hard or John Wick. You don't get to play it both ways. It clashes. It produces a dramatically dissatisfying experience. And it was not enjoyable to watch. It was obnoxious to watch. I felt insulted by the nostalgia buttons. By the way, all this that I've just given you is content that is not in my column. So if you want to read the rest of my opinion about this, I'll include a link below the video. I've got completely different thoughts about specific things in the column. This is sort of a companion piece to the written column. I'm so pissed off. I'm going to go back to a week ago and let today's Jason have the rest of the show. Let today's Daddy Warpig have the rest of the show. I'm out of here. Hey, DW, welcome back. I was mad at this movie. I guess getting I you gotta let you, you gotta let it go, man. You gotta just just let it go. It's not worth being mad about. It's garbage. It's you trash. Know what, you know what really happened? Why I'm no longer mad at the movie? I had that thing we can't talk about happen in the middle. Oh, okay. Yeah, you, you got you got focused on on more important real world matters. Yes. See, see, brings everything into focus. Um, do you have any questions about the movie before we kick off to uh, the new age of heroes? No, I I don't want to hear anything more about Ready Player One. <laughs> I wonder why. Um. I want to do this real quick because it's a real easy thing. DC just had a big, huge event that was very, very popular. By the way, we don't talk about comics much on the show. Um, but that's because I read comics I really like, and I don't really have a lot to say about it. Um, DC had the recent Dark Knight Metal, which is uh, a Batman thing that kind of changed some stuff about the DC universe. And out of this, they came out with eight new titles that they're introducing gradually, so at least two or three of them haven't launched yet. But we know what all eight of them are. And a lot of people have been floundering around trying to describe what these comics are supposed to be or what DC's aim is with these comics, and I'm just staring at them like, are you people idiots? Can't you see what they're doing? It's so obvious. Even diversity in comics is, is apparently clueless about this. He doesn't know. The What people have been saying is that this is an attempt to get back to the fun, muscular, big 
action-adventure comics of the 90s, putting artists back in charge. And that's partly true. But what happened over the last four or five years is Marvel has screwed over the comics industry badly. They've screwed over themselves. I'm talking about Marvel Comics, not Marvel Entertainment, who does the movies. Screwed themselves over, screwed the industry over. Last year, sales were down 10%, 50 stores closed. This year, sales are down 9% on top of a 10% drop last year. More stores expected to close. They're literally destroying the market for comic books. Marvel is. People can't get. The old Hulk, because he's dead. They shot him in the head. And they brought in this faux hipster Hulk with a faux hawk. They can't get a lot of their old characters. The Fantastic Four aren't being published anymore. Right? Okay. So... What DC decided to do, which I think is, in concept at least, very, very smart. But it doesn't seem to be working because they don't seem to be selling. And in many cases, it's really unfortunate. Especially with a title like The Silencer. The Silencer is an incredible comic that just hasn't found an audience. They're on issue three now. And they're only selling 20,000 copies, which is just, even in this market, is awful. And it should be selling so much more than that because it's great. What DC decided to do was to try and steal Marvel's fan base. They're trying to give Marvel fans what they want what they've been denied by the SJWs working at Marvel and did so by sort of creating characters and titles that heavily, strongly resemble certain Marvel characters. So Damage is a big, huge guy. A regular soldier turns into this gigantic monster and while he's in the form of this monster, he knocks shit down he causes damage now this is actually a really good title and you're going to think oh so it's just a hulk ripoff it's not just a hulk ripoff it's a character who is similar to the hulk with his own motivations the situation that he's in he's fleeing from the military and more importantly he only has an hour limit on his power so if he flips into damage mode and he's fighting someone, he has to get it done within an hour. Otherwise, he goes back to being a human and they can wipe him out. They can wipe the floor with him. There's a lot of small, subtle touches to the magazine that make it a lot better than you would think, thinking, oh, well, it's just a Hulk ripoff. It's not. It's actually a really good comic that happens to resemble the Hulk happens to accidentally, deliberately resemble the Hulk. Sideways is a smart aleck high school kid with a superpower that he just got and his girlfriend. It's a uh -huh. Spider-Man-esque character, right? So you already got it. You already know. I don't even read comics, and I know that that's Spider-Man. Now, he doesn't have Spider-Man's powers. And... Certain aspects of his costume are kind of evocative of Spider-Man. But this is a Peter Parker-esque character to try and steal that audience from Marvel or try and bring them back to the comics. The Terrifics have a guy who has plastic limbs who goes out. They have a guy who's made of uh, various elements. They have a lady who can turn invisible. And they have a super, super smart, super competent guy. Four people. They're terrific. Are they, are they, all, are they a family as well? They're not a family. But something has happened in this dark universe that bound them together. They cannot get more than a little, more than a certain distance away from each other before bad things start to happen to them. 
And so even though they don't even like each other, they have to stay together as a team and try to find out what happens so they can get out of it. See, that's not the Fantastic Four. But it's close enough with a different dynamic. It's not a ripoff. It's its own thing. And it's trying to be its own thing in a very skilled, very smart way. And even though they haven't necessarily succeeded fully with all of them, they're interesting. And I think it was a, a, at its core, it's a good idea. If Marvel is blowing itself up, let's give everybody characters they can love. The Curse of Brimstone title is a Ghostbuster-esque. Um, the Immortal Man is a different sort of X-Men thing. I haven't read either the New Challengers or the Unexpected because they haven't come out yet. Uh, and I don't know who either one of them are supposed to be, except that the Unexpected are kind of sort of like the Exiles. They're troubleshooters for the multiverse. When big world-ending bad things happen, they're there to head it off before it gets to the point of being a multi-title crossover for a year, like Crisis on Infinite Earths. They're here to stop Crisis on Infinite Earths before it becomes the crisis. Last but not least is Silencer, which you must go read, please. This comic deserves a huge audience. It's awesome. It's about a person, a mom, who used to be an assassin, right? So okay. if you think of Kill Bill, only the bride got to settle down. She got to marry her, her lover. She got to have a kid in the suburbs with a house. And she's at peace. And she has a life she loves. And then Talia al Ghul of the League of Assassins shows up and knocks her life into this hell in a handbasket. And she has to go out and fight all these people she used to work for to protect her son, to protect her husband, to protect her house, to protect her life. Her superpower, which is brilliant for an assassin, and you're going to think that's kind of a stupid superpower until you think about it. She turns, she creates this globe of silence around her. Absolute silence. So she could be standing there with a gun and shoot it, and no one outside the globe could hear it. Mm. She's an Asamite from Vampire the Masquerade. So you can immediately see how that would be useful for an assassin. Mm -hmm. You walk up to stab somebody, and instead of them screaming, they just die. The comic is written smartly. It's written well. And this is one of the two or three comics involved in this series that I don't actually know who it's intended to be a close uh, you know, mirror of. And it might not be intended to be a close mirror of anyone. It's not Deadpool, because she's not a fourth wall breaking goofball. So it may be some other assassin character that I haven't read about or heard about in Marvel Comics. Anyways, this is DC's New Age of Heroes. All of them are well done. All of them have absolutely fabulous art. And they've all been well written. And I think it's a, a tragedy that they haven't gotten a bigger audience. And I also think it's a tragedy that more people in the comics commentary community aren't grasping what DC's doing here. Um, so, yeah, I thought it was... Uh, I've, I've read all of the ones that have come out, every single issue, and I'm not sure if I would have read all of them on their own, but as far as being DC's New Age of Heroes, I'm willing to give all of them at least a shot before I start cutting ones. So I'm going to wait till they're all out. And some of them have had two and three issues already. Some of them haven't had any. So I'm going to wait till they're all out and then see which ones I want to keep or cut at that point. I liked them. I give all of them I've read at least a positive review. They're worth checking out, in my opinion. So, yeah, that's my review of DC's New Age of Heroes. 
I'm looking forward to not ever buying them or reading them. Yes, because you don't do reading, let alone comics reading. I yeah, I I just I actually don't do comics at all. It's it's it, what I like to say about it is that it's amazing the way they've permeated pop culture and especially geek culture because through things like uh, Saturday morning cartoons and just talking with friends and and meeting people, I know a lot about comics i didn't have to see the spider-man you know six or seven reboot movies to know <laughs> what his story was i didn't you know i i knew who the fantastic four were and so so on and so forth but i don't collect comics i don't read comics um uh, so so that it's really interesting that that uh i could i imagine a lot of people are like me that you could just draw the, the parallel between that character you mentioned and spider-man like oh that sounds like spider-man yeah the, the nice thing about this book, and I, Jeff Rowe says it sounds like the new universe part due. And he, Jeff Rowe Johnson is in the uh, chat. He says it sounds like the new universe part due. I would point out that the new universe was its own separate thing, completely divorced from Marvel, and there was no crossover whatsoever. And most of those titles suck because they didn't give the people making them enough time to develop them and, and make them good before they launched them. These take place in the DC universe. So second episode of Damaged, He's escaped. The military is pissed. Someone above their heads says uh, is trying to steal their power, trying to get their project for themselves and shut it down. It's Amanda Waller. Amanda Waller shows up and tries to take over the damage project. In order to do that, she sends the Suicide Squad up against damage. So that's what happens in issue two. You have a big fight between the Suicide Squad and damage. In issue three, Wonder Woman shows up. And that's huh. an awesome combat. The throwdown between Danage and Wonder Woman is great. And the other thing is that makes him different than the Hulk is Damage has its own personality. And so does the man. And when the man is in man form, Damage is constantly whispering to him. Constantly trying to get him to go loco and start kicking the crap out of everything and touring, tearing down buildings. And when he's in damage form, the man is constantly trying to rein in the chaos he's causing. There's this fight between the two egos that is fabulous, that is well done, that's just a touch, um, just a touch of, uh, of, what am I trying to say, of inter-conflict that makes the whole, that spices up everything. Because you don't really know. Sometimes he's able to rein in damage. Sometimes he's not. You don't know which way he's going to go. But I've enjoyed the titles I've read so far. My least favorite is, is Sideways. But a lot of other people really, really like Sideways. So it may just be the fact that they've done a great job at presenting a good teenage character. And I just find that annoying. Because he is a good teenage character. I just happen to find that character annoying. But I'm still going to continue reading it until they cancel this uh till they cancel these titles if they do we'll see who survives and who doesn't at some point there's going to be a culling all right um I, I think that's it right we've talked about everything we were going to talk about we did it we finished the show wow that feels good that we got through an entire show, even though our main guest unfortunately couldn't come on. We're looking maybe have it back in two weeks after our super spectacular show next week. I mean, seriously, folks, you've got to be here. We're going to have Travis Corcoran, Carl Gallagher, Sarah Hoyt, Ken McLeod, and Andy Weir of the Martian fame are all scheduled to come on the show in a week. We're going to be doing this. So, uh, you know, tell your friends. Sounds I've good. already announced it on, on – uh, on Twitter, we are, it is going to be an epic, epic show. So, by all means, come back in a week. Before we take off, do you have anything? Uh, well, thanks for the show. It was a good chatting about stuff. Thanks to everybody hanging out in the chat. Had a good time talking about movies and comics and stuff. So, uh, Apparently, I really, really appalled a fan of uh, Ready Player One. <laughs> yeah, but it happens. You can't please them all. And, and fortunately, with the new uh, chat setup, you can see all those comments. Every single time I said something and he disagreed, you can see that live, folks, if you watch the show again. 
So uh, you can see so, the. So if, if you're hate listening to Daddy Warpig on the Geek Gab, check out the YouTube recordings so that you can hate listen along with uh, with somebody with other people. Um, but you can watch the uh, what do they call that? The um, loyal opposition. The <laughs> <laughs> you watch the people who dislike my analysis do some more stuff, uh, and all the discussion is there. So um, that's it. We're out for today, folks. We uh, we. Man, Ready Player One really made the middle of the show, didn't it? I'm glad I remembered that I had saw that before all this crazy brouhaha broke. <laughs> the, the brouhaha we can't talk about. Oh, I think I might have talked about it too much. But I stayed away from the to, issues. You may, have, you may have to delete the episode. No, no, no. I stayed away from the issues. I didn't mention any people or incidents or the company involved. All I talked about was oddities to do with lawyers. That's it. So I think I'm safe there. I yeah. don't think I will have created any problems for myself in the future. All right, folks, thanks for tuning in to Geek Gab. Uh, we are here on YouTube at youtube.com slash geekgab. We're available on the iTunes store. We are available on the Google Play store. And we're available on soundcloud.com. We're here about once a week, uh, unless something untoward with lawyerdom erupts suddenly and prevents us from being here. But next week, we have scheduled a roster of, of talent, of guests coming on. And so even though we're leaving you for today, you know, and I know, and everybody who's listened to the show before should know that we will be back.